0: I got a lot of sleep last night and I feel energized. I hope you're feeling the same. And I'm excited about this topic. So I hope we're in for it in a good way. And I hope that as you're sitting there, we're beginning this Immerse series. And I think the title of the the whole concept of Immerse is good. They're a reader's edition of the Bible. They've created it so you can do it in three years. We're not necessarily on that plan, but we're gonna go through the first five books of the Bible and this reader's version where they take out the chapter and the verse numbers. I think that's a healthy, uh, if challenging for some of us, healthy thing to do. And, and even I'll just say this, uh, the translation might not be your preferred translation. It's the New Living Translation. My philosophy with translations is use them. So uh, it might expand you in many different ways, um, but I think we'll have fun doing it. So the reason I think Immerse is such a useful title is that it, it continues to remind us of what it is that we're immersing ourselves in God's story, God's already ongoing story. And guess what? You and I are invited to be a part of that story. And, and I hope this morning as we open up God's word, we're going to look in Genesis 2, uh, if you're looking for that, which is probably on page 2 or 3 if you're looking in the Pew Bible. That was great this morning, page 1. That's our scripture reading. Um, we're going to look in Genesis 2. Um, We're invited, and I hope as we look at, and I've got a few different texts that we're going to kind of see along the way, you don't have to find all those, I'll reference them or they'll be on the screen, Uh, but, but it's a pretty big story that we're invited into, and as I pointed out before, last week we were talking about the resurrection, if that didn't happen, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, we can pack it up and go home, because the whole thing rests on that, but God had the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, and he did, and it changes everything. And so I think today, as we enter back at the very beginning of this story, we see something pretty expansive that God is inviting us to. And it's not an academic exercise I'm taking you on today. This is reality, and I hope it's your reality. With that being said, let me read you an article or a little clip from 1902. I found this on uh, NET Nebraska, they had an article from 2013. This, this clip comes from the Red Cloud Chief newspaper. You can see it right there. Uh, Sunday baseball results in a riot at Nebraska City Sunday. Sheriff attempts arrest of players, succeeds after a scrimmage in which his revolver is taken from him. Friends of players assault ministers of the gospel. What's going on there? That sounds like quite a ruckus, doesn't it? Uh, this is uh, relating to the enforcement of blue laws if you're familiar with those, that in some places are still on the books in one way or another. That is, uh, laws that regulate what can be done on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. And you can see that the the article quotes um, the Nebraska Blue Law that was on the books at the time. It says, if any person of the age of 14 years or upward shall be found on the first day of the week, commonly called Sunday, sporting, rioting, quarreling, hunting, fishing, or shooting, or shooting, He or she shall be fined in a sum not exceeding $20, or be confined in the county jail for a term not exceeding 20 days, or both at the discretion of the court. Now, as I read this this week, I thought to myself, did they need to say rioting? Because isn't that probably not something you should do any day of the week? Specifically, Sunday would be, I don't know if it's a double, I don't know what it is. But it's just, it's an interesting thing. Uh, And, of course, the laws were there to prohibit, you know, sales of liquor or certain transactions to occur on Sunday. Um, Too much work and and those sorts of things to go on and make the Lord's Day special. In some way, that was the intent. Well, let's go back to the very beginning and let's consider the the whole concept of, of a day of rest, in this case, Sabbath. If we look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3, God has done the business of creating in six days, And putting it all together, and you can see that fascinating play, I wanted you to hear the whole thing this morning as Amy read it, because you hear that, it's repetition, it's rhythmic, it's telling us a lot in a short period of time by those rhythms, by those two things that complement each other being put together, and, and ending in male and female, those are all important details that you're supposed to see in the text. You're supposed to catch the rhythm and be drawn into it as it goes on. There's something theologically being stated. We're not going to get into the fullness of that, but I want you to hear that. But here, Genesis 2, 1 through 3, at the end of those six days, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's a little repetition even in the verse. So you get the idea that this thing is important that God is showing us. And what's so remarkable about all this, and and I'm not going to get into any of the the how creation happened. That's not our task this morning. It it doesn't matter uh, in in the scope of this uh, where we land on that issue so much uh, to understand that God didn't need to take any amount of time, whether it was 24 hours or 24 million years, to create. God could have said it and it could have happened. God also did not need to rest, and yet God did. Those are fascinating things, aren't they? That God took periods of time to create very decisively, and then God says, now I'm going to take a day and step back and enjoy it and watch it do its thing. And so God models for us a rhythm that we should have incorporated into our lives. And what was modeled for God here is is sometimes held by God's covenant people pretty well, sometimes very inconsistently, sometimes they completely ignore it, and, and then sometimes they're completely defined by it almost too much. It clearly is an important thread throughout all of Scripture. And what's even more fascinating about the fact that God steps back and takes this rest is that uh, as, as biblical scholar N.T. Wright points out about this specific passage, he says, you read this text after these six days of creation, the seventh day, and I quote, he says, it is deeply mysterious and pregnant. It's pregnant with meaning. Something's going to be birthed from this thing that God is doing. And as, you, as the rest of the text unfolds, you begin to see that God is marking something significant with this rest and this rhythm of rest. And, and if you look... If you read through scripture, it does in many ways unfold like a novel. That's why I think it's useful to read it like a novel from time to time. Of course, it's true. It's the the word of God. I'm not saying it's it's fictional, but you can look at it in the same way. That is to say, the main character is revealed in the pages of the Bible. That's the point. That's why we have the thing. That's why God gave it, so that he could reveal who he is. And, and the character, the main character, God, is revealed throughout the whole thing. And you get more of the picture and more of the picture, just as you would in a novel. And just as if you were reading a novel and that character develops, you can go back and reread the novel. And now you know the character better. And you can say, Oh, now I know why they did that. Now I understand that. And as you do the same thing and read backwards, you understand, Oh, now I know why God was doing that. Now I know why God put that in place. It seemed so mysterious at the time, but God was doing something bigger. Ah, I get it. Something like that is going on here. And you see these markers throughout the text then of of Sabbath and what that means. Exodus 20, verse 8, it's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And it says specifically in that, if you read Exodus 28, by the way, the reason you're doing this is because God modeled it. Can you really improve on what God already did? No. It's been modeled for you. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. God did it, you should too. He blessed it and said, now this should be a blessing to you. Numbers 15, which is interesting. This is in the context then. I'll read this one because I think it's worth hearing. Uh, And it hits our modern ears in a crazy way. Um, Because Sabbath mattered. And taking those rhythms mattered. So they're out in the wilderness after God has delivered them from the Exodus. Um, They're receiving the law. And it says this, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Obviously, there's something important about this day, if that was the penalty or the consequence of breaking the Sabbath just after receiving those words from God. You can see that in Isaiah 58, a very popular passage these days, especially verses 13 and 14, it's one of many that you can find uh, in Isaiah and others that, that point to the, the benefits of the Sabbath. This, If you partake of the Sabbath, if you're obedient to God, you're going to be with Him in His presence. You're going to inherit what God gives you. You're going to have victory and triumph in your life because you're going to be with God on the Sabbath. You're going to be in his presence. And and as I said, sometimes within the Old Testament, you see the people are really good with Sabbath. Sometimes they're miserable with the Sabbath. That's what's being highlighted in Isaiah 58. By the days of Jesus, the people are marked as an identifying factor by the Sabbath. It's, it's crazy in their veins by that point, so much so that as other cultures are living around them, the Romans and others are living with them, they point to the Jews and say, oh, those are the people with that lazy day of the week. Like it's part of who they are by that point. And the Pharisees even themselves have made up these extra rules and regulations so that they don't break the Sabbath, which by the way, ironically makes it a day of work at that point if you have to work that hard not to break the Sabbath. You're not enjoying the day at that point. And then Jesus comes along, and we heard in the scripture reading this morning, and let's, let's just put up Mark 2. Jesus is going around with his disciples, and he does things like this. They'll heal on the Sabbath, or his disciples are gleaning from the fields on the Sabbath, eating on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees say, hey, look, rabbi, what are you doing? They're, they're doing unlawful stuff on the Sabbath. They say, and in verse 27, he says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he takes it a step further. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's another pregnant phrase. There's something more there that's being done. If we take a step back just to define the word, the word Sabbath itself means to cease or desist. Six days you work, the seventh day, stop it. That's what you're supposed to do. Do something different. I think Eugene Peterson uh, puts it in very fine uh, words when he says the Sabbath is intended for play and pray. Those are the things we're supposed to do. Enjoy what God has created with God. Those two things go together. And so we come to, I think, one of the first things we should recognize about Sabbath. Sabbath makes human time meet up with God's time. That's what's happening. We're taking that which is secular and moving towards the sacred so that we can be in communion with God. Now, some commands that we get from God, we like or are are more palatable. We've heard two of the first commands today. Generally speaking, I think people like the first, be fruitful and multiply. That's a pretty uh, well-enjoyed command that God gives. We can do that, God. Thank you. Um, Closely paralleled with or closely next to that, we have care for this creation. I made it. Now take care of the thing. When it says subdue in some translations or or rule over, it's an ambassador term. God's basically saying, I'm the king. I'm the one sovereign over this. You're my people that live in it as my image bearers. Now do my bidding in the land. Take care of the thing. I made it. I love it. You work with it. Now, if you're a gardener or a farmer or something like that, I think especially caring for the creation is, is an easy one. It's an enjoyable task even, right? Let's dig our hands in that thing and enjoy it. Some are struggles, commands that we get along the way from God. When Jesus says, love your enemies, that's harder for us to digest sometimes. Or pray for your enemies, help me. Maybe I want to hold a grudge, God. Maybe I don't want to do that. Uh, Forgive as you've been forgiven. But what if they did was really rough? What if what they did was really mean? I I have to forgive then. And some are in between, right? Some of the commands we get from God to, to give. For some people, they hear that and they're like, woohoo, let's do it, right? And other people are like, well, I worked hard for this. I don't want to give up what, what I have, right? It's mine, mine, mine. There's some that are in between. Some are easy, some are struggles, some fall in between. When it comes to the issue of, of the rhythms of taking a break, as Sabbath would, would reveal to us, my fellow Americans, we're really good at being lazy and we're miserable at taking breaks, aren't we? We're both of those things. Like we're, I mean, the song, everybody's working for the weekend. There's a lot of truth to that, right? A lot of us are. A lot of us want that weekend, and we, especially a three-day or a four-day weekend, hello, bring it on, right? We want that, and we know how to be lazy on those weekends. Yet at the same time, we live in a culture that's miserable about giving and taking vacation time. We don't take breaks nearly enough. And in fact, I was, I was looking at that this week uh, that, that there's some research out there that points out that people who, the, the work martyrs, they say, the people who never take the time off, they don't take all their a lot of vacation days, um, or they take maybe a couple, but most of the time they don't take any of them. People know who they are in the office. the Statistically, it pointed out they're less likely to receive a raise than their, their companions who take all their vacation days, and they have no more advantage in promotions. This is practical stuff when it comes to taking a break. But even more so than that, even if you can contest those things and say, well, maybe I have different research, whatever. Uh, That was just one study. I think we can recognize that people who don't take a break are more stressed and more anxious, and it does more to them mentally, physically. There's a good, this is not academic. There's a good practical reason why God said you should work some of the time and you need to take a break some of the time. Guess what? You're designed for it. You're designed for those rhythms. God gives us Sabbath. God models Sabbath for our benefit. And guess what? It gets even better than that. Let's talk about that. Because what God tends to do as you as read through the pages of scripture, you have these unfolding patterns and routines that, that, that grow for us and we see the meaning grow and and we understand them. So in the Old Testament, you have an individual that might act as their own priest at an altar that's just out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Jacob is a good example of that. I mean, that's a penny or something like that. Um, And and people will do that kind of thing. But then eventually it it morphs into what the tabernacle, that's where God moves things along. And that's regulated by uh, priests and Levites. And then eventually that's a central place, the temple. And these are things that that they do something, but they're more more or less marking what God is going to do because then the temple really gets taken over in the person of Jesus. He is the temple. He does all the functions of the temple in what he does, the death and resurrection, the, the atonement that he enacts for us. God has been setting up the markers of atonement along the way and finally does the work in Jesus Christ. You can see that we were looking in Genesis. You can see that with uh, marriage. Marriage has a function. You can, you can look into that, that, that it makes sense that two things that don't, aren't the same come together to make something new. That's what God is doing in his plan, making something new with two complementary things, heaven and earth coming together. Sabbath, though, is an interesting case of this. Sabbath is an invitation to God's redemption. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that grows over time and God is marking it within his people So that eventually, we're pulled into something much bigger than just taking a break on the seventh day. Let me give you a little more illustration, because Sabbath and Jubilee as Old Testament concepts go together. So we covered Sabbath. Every seventh day, work six days, take the seventh day off. Within the life of Israel, they're supposed to do that. As we saw, that's important. It's very significant to them to do that, and keep that rhythm. They're supposed to take three yearly festivals, which functionally are like long Sabbaths. That's a rhythm that they have each year. Every seven years, on the seventh year, they're supposed to take essentially a Sabbath year off. Work for those six years. The seventh year, let the land remain. And in that seventh year, and you can read about that in Exodus 23, in that seventh year, don't plow the land, let what naturally grows grow. And particularly in that year, you're supposed to let those who don't have as much, who are poor in your midst, and the wild animals come in and harvest from the land. Uh, And you're supposed to have essentially planned for that occasion, trusting that God will care for you in that year. So seven-day rhythm, seven-year rhythm, and then the Sabbath of Sabbath years that every 49th year, in the 50th year, that's the Jubilee. It's a Sabbath of Sabbath years. In that year, it's the Great Reset. It's the year in which uh, debts are canceled, that if anybody is indentured to another or the slave of another, they're freed, manumitted. You're back in, in control of yourself. It's the year when ancestral land that's been sold and moved around now gets returned to the family. You can read about that in Leviticus 25. God's very specific. The land is mine. You're simply stewarding it and trading it. You don't own it. And in that 50th year, you give it back. You reset things. You justify what was, what was undone in those years. But then, you see, it gets a little better. If you read in Daniel 9, and you can catch a glimpse of this in Jesus' words when he quotes Isaiah 61 as well, but when you read Daniel 9, the, the great jubilee is coming. Daniel 9, uh, the second half, it points out that uh, Daniel's visited by the angel Gabriel, and you get these kind of funky numbers going on of sevens and and seven sevens and that sort of thing. Of Sabbaths, it's talking about that that this, uh, and scholars will do all kinds of things with the numbers. Um, You don't want to get bogged down in the numbers as much as what it's trying to tell us. But it's basically saying that one day the anointed one will come, and the great Sabbath begins. that's been been marked all through this time. And after that Sabbath comes the great jubilee. When everything is truly justified, when those who are, it's the kingdom of God, when those who have entered into that kingdom of God and that kingdom of life who have been redeemed along the way, then we're completely free. We end the cycle, basically. We're in the great jubilee. Every, all debts are canceled. Those who are redeemed are in and in the presence of God forever and ever. It's a new day. That's the pattern that's being set up. It's built into the the weekly life. It's built into the yearly life in the Old Testament. It's built into the yearly, yearly life. And then it's built into this grand plan that God has. So Sabbath is when, as we said, it's when uh, human time meets God's time. But we also recognize that with that, God has a plan for creation. He's taking us somewhere. This isn't some just wild ride that ends in nothingness. If we take God's redemption, it ends with God. Sabbath, as it turns out, is our invitation into God's plan of redemption. We're invited into God's presence to be with Him and to be changed in the process. Now, I've been using that term, though, along the way, and it might, we might find it curious, then, as we consider our own situation right now. Are we meeting together on Saturday right now, the seventh day of the week? No. Right? We didn't come together last night, when, or two nights ago on Friday night, when there were two stars visible in the sky, and we didn't end that, break that Sabbath when there were two stars visible on Saturday night. We're here on Sunday, which is often called the Lord's Day. You'll notice that as you move to the New Testament, what do, what do we stop hearing about? Interestingly, the Sabbath. Jesus talks about it. You hear about it in Hebrews 4 and a couple other places, and I'll bring up one passage here in a moment. But it's, it's interesting. Oh, I, I already left it out. Sorry. I've got to go back to Colossians 2. Paul Paul brings it up. I'll bring it to you in a moment here. Paul seems to ignore it almost entirely. Jesus is the only one that seems to mention it at all, but the reason is we're in the, it's, it's been fulfilled. We're in this great moment of the Sabbath right now. We're living it. That doesn't mean we don't need rhythms. I'll get to that in a moment. But we're living in, in essentially the long Sabbath right now, preparing for the great jubilee that is to come. Let me give you that Colossians passage I skipped over. Paul in Colossians 2:16 uh, and 17, he says, therefore don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We're living in sacred time now is the deal. Now we're at the point where God says, I've drawn near. You can be in my presence. You can be in my presence on a regular basis. It's not just at the temple. That atonement doesn't just happen once a year. It it has happened for all time. If you partake of it, you can be part of that. We're living in sacred time now. And One of of the things that Sabbath itself showed throughout uh, the whole of, of Sabbath and continues to show is Sabbath shows trust. Do I trust God or not? Jesus talks about, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. They're dressed better than Solomon in all of his splendor. Doesn't God take care of you like that? Do you trust that God will take care of you? Sabbath pushes that point. Do you take God at his word that he'll care for you? When the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, God gives them manna and quail, but he gives them a double portion before the Sabbath. I'll take care of you. Don't try and collect extra. It's just going to rot. I'll take care of you. So do you take God at his word? More importantly, how Sabbath presses us. Do you take God at his example? Right? Because this is something God actually did. He didn't just command it. He showed it early on from the very beginning. Do you take God at his example that rest and rhythms of rest matter in our lives? That it was modeled and given as a blessing for us? to take rest. And as we put that together with what Sabbath is trying to accomplish, that it invites us into God's presence. It takes the secular and makes it sacred. The question we can ask then is, is my time becoming sacred time then? Do my human activities fit with God's divine plan? Am I moving in that kingdom direction as God has everything else going? Or am I not actually on board with that redemptive plan? I'm doing my own thing at my own pace, in my own way. Sabbath shows trust. It also provides us perspective along that journey. I took a personal retreat back in August at a little retreat center of a monastery just south of Portland. And I, I started by, it was four days, I started by fasting and praying. And as I was praying, I, I memorized Zechariah seven, and I couldn't get past the first line, be silent before the sovereign Lord. And I said, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm gonna be silent. I'm just gonna pray that over and over and call on you. And you know what happens when you do that? I, God showed up. There were a lot of things revealed in me that I wrote down and scribbled down that I recognized were unredeemed components. The things that I held on to when I was silent before the sovereign Lord, when I took that time and made it sacred time, all of a sudden God says, you know what, you need to let go of this, this and this and give them over to me. Let's commune together on this. So what are our responses to this? I'm with Paul and the way that he approaches this in the New Testament. He says, you're not prescribed to take Saturday. You're not prescribed to take Sunday. It's not the day of the week that matters. It's the rhythm of rest that matters. It's that we're doing these things. And and that's why in in church life we've chosen the first day of the week because that's the new day. That's when the new creation begins. So that's traditionally when we've gathered. Paul says, but let's not make it about the day of the week. Let's make it about the rhythm that's behind it. Let's make it about what it marks that matters. And so what we need to do, I believe, and this is a struggle in our culture, we need to mark our lives with sacred routine. To take all the stuff that we normally do in those six days, and even today, the seventh day, and aim it in a kingdom direction. All of it, because we're living in sacred time. So we need to mark our life with those sacred routines. We need rhythms and we need sacred routines that we build in. Because as we live in this grand Sabbath waiting for the day of Jubilee, we're preparing. You know, you watch kids when they play and when they pretend together. What are they doing? They're learning right? When they play, they're figuring out why did mom or dad say this? Why did they do that? Why did they react that way? Why did my teacher say that? Why did this happen in school? And they come home and they go to the room and they play and they practice and they learn. And that's how they learn and grow. I mean, a kid playing probably learns more than we learn in a month, right? They they absorb so much and figure out so much through play. Guess what? We're doing the same thing in this great Sabbath. We're called on this path of redemption. We're called to imitate Uh, God and taking rhythms of rest. We're called to imitate Christ and who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to play that. We're supposed to do that so we get formed into the image of Christ and move in a redemptive direction because what what we invest in captivates our soul. And if we're not investing in the things of redemption and things that are sacred, we're investing in things that, that are not worth it. They might be good for now, but they don't take us in the direction of, of God and God's kingdom. And so when you look at it, the rhythms that we need are the Sunday school answers, but they're the Sunday school answers because they make a ton of sense and we shouldn't poo-poo them. We need church and the, and the body of believers. We need devotional study of devotional time of scripture. We need study of scripture. We need prayer. We need groups of people that we study with together God's word and support one another. We need worship. And we don't just need, let's let's not let's get rid of the modernist idea that we can have compartmentalized lives and we can just do one of these things and it's a buffet of spiritual things. You need all of those things. It's not just one thing. It's not just, I mean, you think about our work lives and a whole lot of us wouldn't think for a moment of sleeping through work no, that's important. But, and that, that matters. Work is important. But we think about it all the time with missing the body of believers. Oh, today I don't really feel like praying, so I won't. Or it'll be short. Today I don't feel like studying. Today I don't feel like going to my small group. Whatever it is, we sacrifice on those little things and think that it's going to shape us in a Godward direction, but it's not. It's not. We can't skimp on those things. It's the whole package that shapes us, not just one part because we're living in a sacred world right now. We happen to have a lot of secular routines, but we're not living in a secular world with some sacred principles. There's a huge difference between those two. Let's not buy the lie. This is God's world. The kingdom is rolling in. We're called in a redemptive direction to the power of the risen Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the business we're in. And anything less is just foolishness. So what we need to do is we need to schedule like our relationship with God depends on it. I mean, think of your schedule in spiritual terms. What you say yes to is something you're actually saying no to as well. When you say no to something, you might be saying allowing a yes to come in later on something that matters. Schedule like your relationship with God depends on it. Build your schedule around those sacred routines and practices. And rest is a particularly important thing that matters in there. That's why margin. Live with margin in your lives. This has been a particular challenge in our own family. We've got a lot of things like so many modern families going on. We have to work hard and sometimes we fail, but we have to work hard at putting that margin in there of a time when nothing happens except we just get to be together. We're not running so so hard even with really good things that we're not thinking about what we're doing anymore. We're just doing it and we get lost in the process. Stephanie and I were standing in our kitchen the other day. We have a family calendar on the wall. I'm not allowed to write on it because my handwriting's terrible. But I see it and I can point to it. So I pointed to it and I said, wow, there's a Saturday that's open. There's nothing going on on that day? She said, no. I said, put a giant X in it. That's our margin. We need that margin. Let's take that day. Nothing's going to happen besides us being able to be together. We need to stop and rest and enjoy what God's given us. See, we're designed for work don't let anybody tell you different. God designed us that way. But we're also designed for rest. We're designed for the rhythm that goes with those. And we're designed, brothers and sisters, as sacred, not secular. We're designed for something holier than the purposes around us quite often. And so our job is to have those rhythms that allow us to accept God's divine invitation to God's plans and to keep walking in a kingdom direction. Let's pray together. God, may we not be fooled by the lies around us. That even though you give every good thing and we can participate in many good things, that if those good things aren't rooted in you and your reality and aren't taking us in a Godward direction, they're taking us in uh, the opposite direction. There's no neutral on this. Let us not buy into the, the lie that following your son, Jesus Christ, is radical, but that it is in fact normal. That is how you designed us let us not buy into the lie that sin is okay and that we can justify it in different ways but that we need to completely eradicate it from our lives and only the power of your son Jesus Christ can do that. Father, give us the forgiveness of our sins today. and Give us the power to repent and turn that we may move in a Godward direction. Give us the power and the foresight to remove the things in our schedules that pull us from you. Even the things that we could call good so that we can move into your greatness and the blessing that you have for us and not be fooled by just the good around us. God, help us to be formed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, by following your example, and taking a break to play and pray with you regularly, to mark our time as sacred. Pray this in your name. Amen.